shouldn't be out here. Doc Ock almost. This could be the most dangerous night of my life. And yours. Be careful. Nice shades. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is it. Welcome to the Super Rad Saturday No Way Home Review Special. I'm Mighty Matt. And I'm the Cap. And ladies and gentlemen, it's here. Well, Mighty Matt, what do you think? I had so much fun with this movie. Uh, I haven't had this much fun with a movie in, in quite a while. Um, it may have been even more fun than Infinity War and Endgame in the theater. And those movies were fun because they were like rock concerts. Every time something cool would happen, everybody just got into it. And the audience would clap and cheer whenever something really cool had happened. Like, you know, like a rock concert, like, you know, like the band playing their greatest hits. It's like, oh, yeah, we love this one and we love that one. Um, so, but this, man, wow. Like, it was an experience to say the least. The, the, the reactions for people were, were so strong in this one. You know, uh, certain certain elements would happen, and people like I, I've never seen people get this excited. You know, it, it goes to show the impact that Spider-Man himself has. What you know, um, it's like you said, like a rock concert. It was definitely an experience, and I just remember sitting in the theater and just like just soaking in every single moment, and with. You know, I've been through, you know, the very first Avengers movie where they all assemble for the first time. We've lived through, you know, when Spider-Man first teams up with the Avengers. And, of course, we also remember, you know, in Endgame when, you know, Bucky and, and Falcon and everybody was snapped back. And, you know, Falcon was like, on your left, Cap, and everybody comes right back. We've seen these spectacles, if you will, and... This is definitely up there, and I almost want to say it tops it because it's not only is it, uh, you know, years of buildup. Like the the end game in Infinity War was like 10, 11 years of buildup for the MCU, and you know the big final battle and the culmination. But what we got from this was like 
almost like 20 years of buildup, if you will. And, you know, seeing these villains come back from, you know, the dead, <laughs> it, 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 for better, for lack of a better term, it's quite honestly, like, it's awe-inspiring um, that they pulled this, this off. You know, you even see, like, in little clips online w through IGN, when Doc Ock comes out from under the bridge, you hear the classic uh, Danny Elfman score of his theme song. Hello, Peter. Hi, do we, do I know you? What have you done with my machine? Uh, your machine? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know, what machine? Do you want to play games? Catch! And it's just surreal to be able to see, you know, Alfred Molina's Doc Ock and Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin on the same, sharing the same screen at the same time. And, and that was something, you know, growing up with those, like, the original, like, Spider-Man trilogy, I always wondered, like, man, what would, what would happen if we had gotten, you know, Willem Dafoe and Alfred Molina on the same screen at the same time? You know, we've we've seen Goblin and Doc Ock interact multiple times in the comics and the cartoons, and it, it's just surreal. It, it, that's that's what I can say. It's it's a fever dream. I'm st I still can't believe it happened. And you know, as all as exciting as all of this is, we we've both seen this movie multiple times now. So it's not now now that I've seen it multiple times, I don't think that you can write this off as oh it's just like that first time seeing it the, the excitement of seeing it for the first time but like it's gonna go away and you're gonna realize that oh it's really not that good or you know it, you've, I've seen it twice now you've seen it three times at, at the time of this recording um, I'm probably gonna see it more for um, sure <laughs> but uh, but having seen it twice now I can tell you that everything is really well done and it's not just the excitement of the novelty of seeing these things and then like afterwards you're gonna like think about it and be like well you know it's all kind of like contrived or whatever I don't think it was no I thought I... everything was and, and you you have to forgive this movie if, if like there's any sort of nitpicking you could do about the plot or, or anything like that or the characters sometimes you kind of have to forgive it because of the monumental task it's doing with bringing in all these different characters from all these different universes and bringing them into one and you know, and in that aspect, I think the movie just works really well, and you just kind of forget about any sort of flaws the movie might have in terms of story and structure. Correct. I uh, there were moments in my, especially, like I said, at the time of, of this recording, uh, third time, there were times where I looked at it and I'm like, hmm, I would have done this a little differently, or something doesn't quite add up here. Um, even some of the you know, MCU CGI uh, was a little bit uncanny for me, but the positives definitely outweigh the negatives. And of course, major kudos to the CGI team and the editing team because they were crunched for time. I I was reading up online that even up to like as recent within the last month or so, they were still in the final uh, steps of editing this film. So even if there are some minor mishaps, that's this is such an ambitious film um, that I, I can forgive it. Any little m mild 
and I say that there, there, the any plot holes that there's in this are very minor or like mild, and, and it, it really is just a nitpick at that point. Like, and, and there you can rightfully so, you know, critique it because uh, uh, that's okay. It's okay to to critique even a piece that you really love. And I, I'm just saying that this film is definitely one of my top MCU movies. Uh, and one of my top Spider-Man movies for sure. It's a celebration of Spider-Man. Yeah, I agree. It's for, I'm, I feel the same exact way. It's now it's in my top, like it, it's towards the top of my favorite MCU movies. Um, in terms of Spider-Man movies, like I'd put it right up. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna place it because it's still kind of too new, you know. Um, but I, it would go right up there with Spider-Man 2 and like Into the Spider-Verse is like one of the best Spider-Man movies ever made. Um, it's still kind of early to say exactly if it is the best or not, but time will tell. But I, but regardless, it's, it's definitely one of the best. And, you know, uh, going back to what you were talking about, like being able to rewatch it and the novelty of like the spectacle of like, oh man, if... You see it once, you're like, okay, and then you see it again, you're like, eh, it's not the same. No, every time I saw it, the novelty didn't wear off for me. Um, you know, when I watched Endgame, and that in, in itself was a very ambitious project, so I can't, you know, I'm not going to be too hard on it for what it was pursuing. But even at Endgame, there, you know, after the third time, I was like, eh, okay. I, I I think I had my fill, and of course that's also a three like three ish hour movie, so there there's also that time in there, but this movie like all the spectacle, it wasn't just for the sake of it. That's one thing I will say, or at least it didn't feel like that. Not to say that the spectacle like the spectacle in Endgame was earned, for sure. That's ten years of buildup, but there, this didn't this this. The spectacle was also a little bit more contained, and because it was more contained in this narrative, it was it left room to breathe for for good character work and good uh, good story and and you know the plot just moved forward, not for the sake of moving forward, but it, it like everything served its purpose for the most part. And, and we'll, yeah. once we get into uh, spoiler territory, I will get we'll 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 start going more in depth for sure. Yeah, you're right. Everything had a purpose. It wasn't like they threw something in there just for the sake of, oh, well, wouldn't it be neat if this happened, but it really didn't like matter in the long run? No, most, pretty much everything in there, um, actually, maybe with the exception of a mid-credit scene, but we'll get to that later. Of course. <laughs> uh, but but you know, but everything else really did feel like it was it was you know there was a point to it, and and also like it was just a great like cap off to those respective series you know to the original Raimi trilogy and the uh, the, the Mark Webb Andrew Garfield duology um, so it was a nice swan song for those that never really got their swan song um, which was nice absolutely and I think uh, I think it's safe to say that we can go right into spoilers and uh... I drove Spider-Man away he was the only one who could have stopped Octavius Yes. Spider-Man was a hero. I just couldn't see it. He was a, a thief, a criminal. He stole my suit. He's a menace to the entire city. 
I want that wall-crawling arachnid prosecuted! I want him strung up by his web! I want Spider-Man! Now that we're in spoiler territory, I think uh, we can address the tap-dancing elephant in the room. Uh, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield came back. <clears throat> and it was... I, I, It still feels like a fever dream. I can't believe it happened to say... Uh, like, to see the Sam Raimi costume and the Mark Webb costume in full gear right there in your face on an MCU film... It's it's surreal. It's it's so cool because like okay like we speculated before this movie came out. We everybody was like, oh, I bet you like Tobey Maguire will show up. I bet you Andrew Garfield will show up. But there was no confirmation. And even Andrew Garfield had been in an interview where he said he wasn't in the movie, so he just didn't know. So when they finally do show up in this movie, seeing it for the first time with the audience was like the loudest they got. You know, because it was like all of a sudden, like through that portal, there's Andrew Garfield, and everybody's like freaking out. And then it's like, well, shit, like if Andrew Garfield's coming through that thing, Tobey Maguire's gotta come through this thing. And to finally see Tobey Maguire after so many years was, it was, it was I, I was speechless. I was, just, I actually, I never, I don't usually like stand up and cheer in movies. You know, I'll like, I'll get excited and I'll clap or something. But when I saw my boy, Tobey Maguire, pop through the portal i stood up and like laid out a cheer and i was just totally hyped at that moment yeah it, each character embodied who they represented within their respective universe toby Maguire still acted like the spider-man in the sam raimi films andrew garfield still embodied his version of spider-man and when you put those two next to tom holland it, it just no one overshadowed anybody. That was the one thing I was genuinely concerned about going into this movie because it, it, it was, it, you know, every time there's like a big Spider-Man event in film through Sony's uh, distribution only, usually there's some kind of hiccup. You know, with Spider-Man 3, there was... There was too many cooks in the kitchen trying to tell Sam Raimi, like, hey, you got to have Venom. Hey, you got to have Sam in. Hey, you got to you gotta wrap up the story with Her uh, Harry Osborn. Yeah. In, in Amazing Spider-Man 2, it was just, you know, Sinister Six, the commercial. And for both of those films, and I'm going to say, I don't think those films were, like, horrible, horrible. But because of, like, the filmmakers and the directors and were being drowned you know, by studio interference, the studio mandates. Yeah, it, it it really took away from them. So I I think lessons are learned for sure. There were moments where I was like, you know, I know this is definitely like fan servicey, but it also, like I said, some of the fan service may have taken me out here and there. I, I mean, but at the same time, it's like, okay, this is definitely a celebration of the <laughs> of every Spider-Man incarnation on the big screen yeah um you know when willem dafoe goes back and says i'm something of a scientist myself <laughs> i i mean I, I laughed 
The second time I saw it, I kind of rolled my eyes. I'm like, oh, well, you know. Yeah. But even then, I, I sat back and realized, I'm like, this is basically like a Spider-Man homage. Uh, anybody that sits there and and tries to be like, oh, you know, Toby is the best Spidey or Andrew's the best Spidey or Tom Holland's the best Spidey. It, you watch this and you you don't even, you can't even just, you know, you watch this film and they all embrace each other. And, and, and you can tell that each actor has uh, immense amounts of respect for one another. They give everybody respect. Like, it, they could have very easily have, like, made certain characters to be kind of a joke, you know? Or, like, demean them in a way to make them look foolish and, like, uh, not be, like, like not take them seriously. Um, I, I just think of, um, years ago there was this animated Ninja Turtles film called Turtles Forever where they had the 2003 animated uh, Ninja Turtles crossover with the original cartoon Turtles and they made the original cartoon Turtles look really incompetent and and silly it, it just like it, it like it looked like they weren't taking them seriously you know and I was kind of worried they might do something like that with some of the characters in this movie I was worried that maybe like you know, they might demean like you know Tobey Maguire in some way, or maybe like make uh you know they could have made the lizard, uh you know kind of like uh you know insignificant or something like that. But they didn't. They like I mean yeah, there is humor, and they they do make some jokes about each character, but it wasn't like a, in a demeaning way or anything. You know, it was it was all kind of done with like you know affection. Yeah, so, it was it was done within the realm of the narrative, and it yeah. made perfect sense each little uh you know there's a part where electro tells uh, andrew carfield's like you're not even the shit anymore and i was like oh man that's it almost sounds like a meta joke right there there's a lot of there is a lot of meta jokes within this um a lot of winks and nods but at the same time no blatant disrespect to any of the three spider-men right uh they do a very good job of balancing i and by the end of the day, they made sure that this was still Tom Holland's Spider-Man film. Right, yeah. There's there's the main Spider-Man, but like the other ones aren't you know, just there to just make him look good. You know, right. they're there to help him, but they also get their own chances to look awesome too. Uh, as far as the other surprises, so Spider-Man in this movie, he had to lawyer up and he, well, need, he needed a really good lawyer. He needed a really good lawyer. And who did he get? Of course, he went to Nelson and Murdoch. And we got Matt Murdoch making his MCU debut. And, it's, and played by Charlie Cox himself, which I loved, absolutely loved the Netflix Daredevil series. If you, if you listeners were to go onto Netflix and check out all the Marvel shows, honestly, if there was one show you had to check out, it would have to be Daredevil. For sure, it was, it was the best series. Even all three seasons, honestly, I would take all three seasons of those above all of the rest of the the Marvel Netflix shows. It, it was that it, it, within the first few episodes of Daredevil, it was that single shot fight scene, and for me, where it it, it definitely pushed cinematography for you know something like a Marvel product for that time. Uh, it was definitely R rated. It was much more raw than your typical Marvel production at the time. And seeing Charlie Cox come back as Daredevil brings me hope because there was a lot of good performers and good players mm. within that series or have spun off from that series that could work 
within the realms of the MCU. Absolutely. And I've always just been a big, I'm, I love Daredevil anyway. So I was always kind of hoping they would incorporate him into the MCU a little bit more somehow. So, um, so it's really exciting to see that Matt, you know, Matt Murdock, Charlie Cox's Daredevil um, is back and he's going to hopefully play a bigger role in the MCU in future movies. Right. Or, or, or the Disney plus shows too. Because that those are just as good as movies at this point now. Yeah, the cinematography for sure. The writing has been pretty uh, spot on. I haven't been disappointed in in any of these uh, series. I have yet to watch Hawkeye, um, but it, I mean, so far it hasn't been disappointing. And it's just really cool that to see that they're expanding to the street level uh, characters on the big screen. Because I always felt that Daredevil needed a a big screen debut in his moment and it's just really nice to see him have that moment and also just to see him interacting with spider-man because that is always like the dream team in comics with spider-man and matt murdoch uh daredevil um especially like there's been countless of times uh numerous of times if you will where you know spider-man or peter parker needed to lawyer up especially if you recalled in the 1990s animated series matt murdoch uh was the lawyer for peter parker in a case um, and that, of course, there was a crossover within, you know, with him, uh, you know, Daredevil and Spider-Man, and they fought the Kingpin together. So yep. it's 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 definitely something where you know we're going from Spider-Man interacting with the likes of the Avengers and and Iron Man and and Captain America, which is amazing to see. But it's also really cool to see him go back to like almost his, you know, like the the street level heroes for sure well yeah well that yeah because spider-man and daredevil have had a long history together in the comics because they're you're right they're the more street level heroes whereas captain america and iron man are taking on the big threats the, the you know the earth threatening threats spider-man and daredevil you know daredevil takes care of hell's kitchen and, and spider-man just kind of like is your friendly neighborhood spider-man takes care of the neighborhood um but at the end of this film uh we do see spider-man having to resort to becoming a more you know spider-man on a budget because he no longer has tony stark backing him so he had to make his own suit you know from scratch um so with him kind of going back to that that sort of more grounded neighborhood spider-man maybe in the next film we might actually see spider-man and daredevil you know taking care of some you know more street level sort of threats for sure I don't know what you're trying to pull by saving my life, but it won't work. Oh, you're just too clever for me, JJ. There he is, officers! The man behind the Science Expo heist! Shoot him now! Shoot him! JJ, you're out of the wheel! I mean it this time! Hold it, Spider-Man. I don't want to believe that you pulled off the heist today, but I've got to make sure. Daredevil! I haven't got time to explain. Just tell me your side of it. I'll know if you're lying. How am I supposed to know you're the real Daredevil? What? Listen, it's true. A Spider-Man made off with Octavius' new invention. But not THE Spider-Man, not me. Somebody's framed me. Why? I don't know yet. And if New York's finest catch me, it may be too late. Well, then you'd better get going. NYPD is coming fast. That's it? You believe me? I don't have to believe you. I know you aren't lying. But how? Let's just say you've got your superpowers, and I've got mine. One of the things that definitely uh, impressed me with this film was the score. Um, it was 
like like I said, already a fever dream just to like see all three Spider-Man on the same screen at the same time. Uh, seeing, you know, Doc Ock, Alfred Molina interacting with Willem Dafoe as the Green Goblin and Jamie Foxx as Electro. Um, but, you know, the you can tell that there was a lot of care put into this, especially with the details in uh, the score. The music score was very well composed. Um, peppered throughout the film were little details, little hints. Uh, when Doc Ock came out, you heard his theme from Spider-Man 2 the, the Sam, in the Sam Raimi trilogy. Um, you hear uh, hints of Hans Zimmer's score with Electro coming out. Just a small smidge of it. Um, when Andrew Garfield comes out, you hear like a, a piano rendition of his first theme from The Amazing Spider-Man 1. Uh, and of course, whenever uh, you know Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man interacted with you know, Sandman or Doc Ock, you can hear the classic Danny Elfman Spider-Man theme in there. And and it's just, you could, like I said, there was a lot of care put into this. They wanted to make sure that it was nostalgic in every sense. Um, you know, just, it was amazing. And not only was the nostalgia that was peppered in there, but they made sure the composer made sure that this was this made Spider-Man arts you know the current Spider-Man feel like a, a massive cinematic event. Um, yeah, that's what I yeah what I was thinking was um, uh, I, I think the composer's name is Michael. I'm always gonna screw up his last name. Michael Giancino. Gian, yes, Giancino. I want to say that's that's how you pronounce it. I wanna, yeah. Um, but yeah, he really outdid himself in terms of this Spider-Man score. He, you know, he because he I, I believe he composed um, Far From Home and Homecoming, and those were good. He had a decent like Spider-Man score for you know or Spider-Man theme for those. But uh, but this one, wow! There are certain moments, really dark moments, and really like emotional moments, and the music that he did for those were really like they they really bring you into the moment and really affect your emotions. Um, which kind of brings me to a nice little segue here into the action scenes. There are some incredible, like, we're, we're going on about all the characters and stuff. There's also some really great action scenes in this movie. Um, there's a fight scene with Spider-Man and the Green Goblin at the very end, and the music in that I thought was so, like, kind of intense and haunting because at this point, the Goblin has... He's, he's, he is the worst in this movie. He's killed <laughs> Aunt May. Yeah, which I wanted to talk about that too. Um, one of the most emotional parts in the movie was the death of Aunt May. The MCU Spider-Man's Uncle Ben, pretty much. Because before, I always just assumed that, oh, maybe Uncle Ben died before Homecoming and we're just not going to talk about it. But, you know, maybe he gave him the speech of, you know, with great power comes great responsibility, blah, blah, blah. And we just weren't going to touch on that. But in this movie, they did it. They did the great power comes great responsibility speech, but it was by Aunt May. Right. And I thought that was really brilliant because we've gotten three movies. Well, actually, no, technically four if you count Civil War. Because um, you had a pretty decent part in that, too. Um, but we've had, like, four movies to get to know her and, you know, her relationship with Peter. Um, so when she gets killed by a goblin's glider in this, it's a real gut punch. And I swear to God, I almost tear up every both times I've seen it so far. 
Right. And, you know, going back, everyone is talking about, like, oh, maybe, you know, Uncle Ben doesn't exist in this universe. But I I would still beg to differ because even when she says, with great power, which, and she says it, the full quote, with great power, there must also come great responsibility. Um, you hear Peter Parker respond to her and he's like, I know. And it, it, it definitely... Uh, gives me the vibe that Uncle Ben was still present. I mean, it's not like we haven't seen, you know, uh, little snippets of, a, or little tidbits of Ben Parker's existence in this universe. Right, like the suitcase in, yeah. in the second one. Correct. And so, I know that there's a lot, there's a lot of people that are like, well, you know, uh, if you remember, even in the first Spider-Man, you know, or, you know, origin comic, uh, Uncle Ben doesn't die right in front of Peter Parker. So, there's still that effect of like, hey, you know, maybe I should be a little bit more responsible because he, he probably died off screen for all we know. But even then, even if even if he didn't, um, I appreciate the MCU and Sony getting together and being like, we need to give this a little bit of a different flavor. Because one of the things that a lot of people had uh, felt was problematic with this Spider-Man is that he didn't really witness true tragedy. And Spider-Man is a very Shakespearean character in a sense that he is a very tragic hero. Um, he has a lot going on for him, you know. You know, he loses his Uncle Ben. He loses Gwen Stacy. One point, he, you know, in the comics, Aunt May does die. Um, and to bring her back to life, he has to lose his marriage. And the thing is, with all this loss, he always there's the one thing that's always in common is he always blames himself. He's always got the weight of the world on his on his shoulders. Um, and of course, like you know, and, and and in this movie, Green Goblin even is like goading him during that last fight where he's like blaming him. He was like, "You put her there." Um, so like you you know, Peter Parker blames himself for the death of Aunt May. Um, and so we haven't really had much of that in, in these Spider-Man movies where he's like really, you know, feeling responsible for horrible things happening. This is the first time that we really get to see that. Right. Um, which I really appreciated. Right. And, you know, you, you, you mentioned the fighting with the fight scenes with Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin. Mm. Um, I mean, just think back when they were in Happy's uh, condo. He, my favorite fight scene in the whole movie. It's an incredible action sequence, and it's one of my favorite like fist fight type fights in the MCU now. And he's punching the shit out of him. He's just wailing on on Gobby's face, and Willem Dafoe just looks up and laughs maniacally. <laughs> and we we have to look back at the villains that Spider Man had dealt with. A lot of these guys, you know, you know, take away, you know, of course you know Thanos and any of like you know the big big villains that the Avengers had fought yeah, the alien stuff you know Spider-Man first you know he he goes with the vulture the vulture it, it, you know while he will kill Spider-Man if he needs to he's not cruel by nature in terms of like you know i i he's by in the day he's just a working class man who got the bad end of a stick and wants to take revenge and that he you know he was good in that role uh the vulture you know wasn't too evil if you will he just was somebody that was misguided mysterio egotistical um 
doesn't really, you know, mind if he has to kill, but, you know, if he, you know, it, it Mysterio will kill if he needs to as well, uh, but it's not as, like, pure evil, it's more just, like, I'm just trying to get my way, and I'm just, vent you know, I'm a little spiteful because Tony Stark called my, uh, invention barf. Yeah. By the end of the day. Um, but Goblin is chaotic evil, and also legit super powered by the you know the serum so spider-man up until this point has never dealt with somebody that does not give a damn about yeah. anything and actually enjoys killing people for the fun of it yeah this is a type of threat that this version of peter parker really hasn't faced on his own without the help of the avengers this is the first time he's really come across like a superpowered being like this that can kill him and you know um and at least goblin wants to i don't know about osborne you see because that's the other thing is that they did a really great job of playing up the duality of norman osborne they you know there's a bit of that in you know sam raimi's first film um so it was glad that they brought that back um so they did a good job almost fooling me to not know who, when was osborne osborne and when Goblin was taking over. That's right. Yeah, I mean, I think Goblin was always... You know, I mean, there are scenes where like it definitely looks like Osborn is, is in control. But I always think that... You know, he. I think he has this line where he's like, I was always watching. So he's like, he, he, he'll let Osborn take the wheel, but he's in the back seat, like, you know, keeping an eye on things. So that's, that, that's how I kind of saw everything playing out. Um, but uh, man, what a what a performance by by William Defoe in this movie. I I I was excited when I saw the trailers to see um, Alfred Molina back as Doctor Octopus because you know he's my favorite uh, Spider-Man villain at least you know in film. Um, but I got to tell you, like William Defoe just stole the show in my opinion. They definitely this movie makes him out to be kind of like you know with, with five villains, he's kind of like the main one. For you know, sure, he, he doesn't. He doesn't take up like a leadership role. It's not like all the villains are a team and he's the leader. And it, it never becomes anything like that. It's never like they're not the Sinister Five or something. It's just they all sort of have a common um, goal, which is to not die, <laughs> but you know to stop you know this the Doctor Strange box from sending them back to their their regular their their universes. Um, but uh, but as far as like a main threat. Gobby is definitely the main one. Yeah, um, it it's uh, he definitely chews up the scenery, uh, and, and in this film, of course, you're going to have. It, it, there was some strange moments for me with other villains, um, but we also, uh, as time went on, we we come to learn. Uh, the general public starts to learn through the internet that the likes of uh, the lizard and. Flint, Marco, uh, Sandman, they couldn't physically be there. Um, so they had kind of lesser roles. Uh, the one, yeah, Flint Marco was the only villain I felt kind of out of place in the, it, within the teaming up with the other villains because he just wanted to go home. But Electro and the Lizard were adamant about not returning. and Well, because they die. Flint yeah. Marco never died. Flint so Marco like never he died. didn't care. Like he was he was all set to go. It's just like we had to worry about Goblin, Octopus, Lizard, and Electro because they all in their movies they they die. So 
Well, Lizard um, still lives for sure, but he gets a, he he ends up in prison in Amazing Spider-Man. Oh. So that was just the one thing that was a little. But he was also very curious, like does he if he died? So I can understand yeah. his fear. Uh, it was just interesting seeing uh, the Sandman of all. Like that was the one outlier for me. Uh, I mean, I could I could still understand that. Like he doesn't trust anybody. He's got some trust issues. You know, he has actually killed a man, and you know he knows that. You know, he's technically public enemy number one. Where he when he goes back to that universe, so. I can understand him having a little bit of distrust, but I do. I think the one thing I would have liked to have seen was a little bit more. Uh, again, taking consideration the ambition of this film, I'm not yeah. up, like I'm not crucifying it for this, but I think I'd, I would have loved to have seen a little bit more of infighting between uh, Sandman and the others who were adamant about like taking out Spider-Man and not curing them because Sa- uh, Sandman, for the most part, seemed pretty much on board. More on board than than the rest of them for sure. So right. it was it was interesting to see that. I mean, but it was also really great to see uh, Thomas Hayden Church play uh, the Sandman or voice the Sandman again. Right. So I can't really be too mad about that because every like I said, everything else just outweighs whatever I feel like is a nitpick. Yeah. But I just want I did feel compelled to address that because that was something I always just kind of felt. A little off with but it still worked within the narrative to to for me to suspend my belief for sure yep i i, I agree um it, it's this is one of those movies that's kind of easy to forgive some of its flaws because of how entertaining it is and also just keeping in mind how ambitious it is so stuff like yeah like it is you know it's weird how like the sandman kind of just disappears and then he shows up back at the end i mean you know why he shows up because he wants to go back home but still it's just like well what was he doing um, but, uh, yeah, so, um, real quick before we start to kind of begin to wrap this up, um, I also just want to touch base on J. Jonah Jameson. Um, I actually really enjoy what they're doing with him in this version of Spider-Man, this universe, uh, because, you know, everybody knows that newspapers are kind of going away, you know, newspapers aren't exactly what they used to be. Um, so having J. Jonah Jameson be this sort of Alex Jones type is a really brilliant move and um jk simmons uh does a great job of of playing that up i mean he's he's he was born to play j jonah jameson let's be honest for sure and and what's great about this iteration is that like it's still jk simmons as j jonah jameson but it's still different enough to where like you can appreciate that it, it does stand out from the raimi verse who is spider-man he's a criminal that's who he is a vigilante a public menace i always thought that if j jonah jameson existed in today's world it would you know how loud he is how boisterous obnoxious almost you know how like hard he is about you know the press has to win uh, you know it definitely would go towards like an Infowars type of you know or like youtube newscast kind of guy yeah. y- you know the type that you you sometimes hear and you roll your eyes like oh there goes that guy again uh and jk simmons really captured that essence very well and it's you know we bring we we just embrace him with open arms um you know and it's also nice because a a nice little nod to the spider-man ps4 game because even in that game he's a podcaster (laughs) and and all he is all he's doing is just you know ranting about spider-man and i like that when the world forgets who Peter Parker is, he goes back to that classic line of like, well, if 
you know, if Spider-Man has nothing to hide, he would take off his mask and show us his true identity and his true intentions. And that's just very classic. Spider-Man, a psychopath wielding powers he has no right to possess, trying to pass himself off as a hero. Well, let me tell you something, kid. You're no hero. Mysterio, that's a hero. You are a criminal, a miscreant, a masked marauder, a menace. Um, one thing I definitely want to touch base on as well is the cinematography. Now, early MCU when it comes to the likes of like the first Iron Man, you know, it worked for what that movie was. But there was times where I always felt that the style was a little too bland. Uh, or the CGI was oversaturated or looked uncanny to the eye. And there are still moments of that peppered throughout this movie for sure. Especially in the first half. That's the one thing about the this Spider-Man film. Is that the very first half and the second half. Like, you know, like once once we get like halfway through the, 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 mid, the middle act. You see the, the shift. Not only from your, you know, we see a shift in every sense of the word. From your typical... MCU film, you know, like what an MCU Spider-Man film, like for sure, like it, it did, the the first half definitely felt like what what I would expect for a continuation of Homecoming and Far From Home to be like, with the high school comedy and everything and the little quips. But as as everyone is, you know, as Doc Ock gets cured and Green Goblin shows his true uh, intentions and or or come as Green Goblin comes right back out uh, and reveals himself to Peter Parker and kills Aunt May, you notice that there's a shift in not only tone, but even cinematography, uh, music. The, the second act of this film has some balls to it. And that's where we go from feeling like an MCU Spider-Man film to a Spider-Man film. Um, and like the shots, the, the one shot that stands out in my head whenever I re uh, replay it is like as Aunt May, after Aunt May dies, in that condo, J, uh, J. Jonah Jameson is speaking through a, like like a giant screen on a building, and he's face and he's and Spider Man's looking right up at him, and it's raining, and it's the colors are vibrant, they're popping, like juxtaposed to what we would see in you know, like I said, the Spider Man films sometimes kind of came off, and I'm not saying I say this with the kindness of my heart, but they kind of looked a little ugly at times, but when we see that shot. I was like, there it is. That's like a that's a comic panel right there. He's looking up at this ominous, you know, telecast of the Daily Bugle blaming Spider-Man for basically the death of his aunt. And it's raining and he, the tra you feel the tragedy in the music. You you see it on Tom Holland's face. And then even with when we get to the ending um now like the 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 CGI does get a little bit jumbled. I know that they were, you know, a giant in, in front of a giant blue screen, and they were trying to capture, you know, a nighttime with the Statue of Liberty. Uh, I do think that maybe it could have been a little bit of a different choice in terms of how to to execute that fight scene, um, because seeing Sam Raimi's Spider-Man was sometimes a little bit difficult to the eye, but it still worked, it, especially when they're all swinging. The three of them swinging was such a a beautiful like scene you, every single spider-man had his unique pose andrew garfield had his pose toby Maguire had his pose and and tom holland and then 
they're you know they launch towards them and it's it's great it's amazing to see that um you know it 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 really it it, it definitely it definitely made me appreciate all three spider-men and um i also want to just like say that andrew garfield definitely got his redemption yeah, absolutely. Yeah, literally and figuratively speaking, yep. because of course we all know he caught you know MJ from falling. Yeah, it's just to make up for uh, what happened with Gwen Stacy at the end of uh, Amazing Spider-Man Two. So that is a, that's a really touching moment. Hey, hey. Stay with me, stay with me. Stay with me, stay with me. You stay with me. Gwen. Gwen. No, please, please. But also his performance. You know, everybody talks about no Tom Holland's the best Spider-Man. No, Tobey Maguire's is best Spider-Man, and I really felt that. I really felt that Andrew Garfield got the short end of the stick because his, you know, he only had two films, and his second film was just so muddied and meddled with by studio mandates. And he showed that he could hang, but he and like I said, in all honesty, I really do believe that if he had gotten a better script, better, you know. And, and less studio interference, like, he definitely would have been, like, held high in a higher regard. And I think this film did that for him. I kind of feel like he's, he, he kind of reminds me a little bit of Henry Cavill in a way. You know, Henry Cavill was a great Superman in some bad Superman movies. Um, I think maybe if Andrew Garfield had been in some better Spider-Man movies, he maybe, you know, because anybody that's ever talked to me and, you know, I've, I've shared my feelings about the Amazing Spider-Man movies know that I'm not a big fan of them. There, there's, there are certain things in them that I do like, but there's just so many other things that I just, I just do not work for me. Um, but I will say that after this movie, it made me want to go back and rewatch those it kind of gave me a maybe a different appreciation for them and it did give me make me want to like give them another chance uh, i don't think i'm gonna love them but maybe i might get a little bit more out of them than i did before for sure i mean they still have a voice you can still see like mark webb's like direction speaking through if only they had just let andrew garfield breathe and mark webb tell the story he wanted to we probably we would probably be seeing a different spider-man in the mcu realistically you know who's to say that maybe he could be the one that uh ends up going into these uh villain villain movies because i don't see especially after this film i don't see tom holland sharing the same screen not yet at least with you know venom and morbius right 
Um, and especially with the mid credit scene, the way how they uh, talk about it, or the way how the mid credit scene is executed, it definitely makes me feel that we're gonna, it's not gonna happen anytime soon, but we may at least see some sort of a, you know, for those who haven't seen the mid credit scene, you know, Tom Hardy's there, Tom Hardy's Venom is there, and he gets basically sucked back into his universe and he leaves behind a small sample of the symbiote which you know in secret wars there was you know that's where you know spider-man goes into you know battle world and he picks up the symbiote from there it's not like it came from space like it was in the animated series or in the uh spider-man spider-man 3 so he gets it from basically another world if you will so it kind it's kind of like a a a nice nod to the original the origin of the symbiote in the 616 universe but uh well that's always going to be a tricky one to do um it's always going to be hard unless you're doing a an adaptation of secret wars it's always going to be tricky to you know if you're going to adapt the black suit in film how do you get the symbiote to earth and onto peter it's like you know it's it's always going to be tricky so you they're always going to have to figure out different ways to do it because you know um yeah if you're going to try to be you know um faithful to the comic it's going to be a little weird so yeah and i mean this movie is all sorts of weird (laughs) but the one thing i can say you know my final thoughts on this is that you 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 have all three spider-man here everyone is always going to say like well i prefer tom or i prefer andrew and i prefer or i prefer toby but each each person embodies spider-man in one way or another at some stage of spider-man's uh tenure in comic books you know tom holland you know the he represents what i i believe is a modern retelling of the stanley ditko run of just you know a teenager just going through it kind of almost like um the uh, early issues of ultimate comics by brian michael bendis for sure that version of peter parker um yeah i could kind of see that yeah like a more modern young version you know and then of course Toby Maguire represents kind of the the original Stanley Steve Ditko era of Spider-Man comics those original issues um like how he he embodied that for sure and mm-hmm. and like the maturity of like an adult Spider-Man that we yeah. always wanted to like everyone's been wanting to see again um Garfield the you know he he had with his performance he even said like he didn't hold back punches after losing Gwen and uh, Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man represented like the pain and and the anguish that he he had and it just it it, it goes from inner to outer with uh, Andrew Garfield's performance and you can really see it uh, the anguish and in his eyes and he even tells Tom Spider-Man like I don't want you to end up like me and all three of them just when they hug together. It to me it was a passing of the torch. Like I say, say what you will about any of those performers, but there is a a respect amongst the three that when once once uh in in Tom Holland Spider Man, he was he had no words to thank these guys. Well when I saw that scene, I was looking at it as Tom Holland saying like, okay, Peter Parker is saying thank you to these other Peter Parkers for helping him save the day. I'm looking at it as like a sort of a, you know, a, a meta way of, you know, Tom Holland saying thank you for paving the way for me to put on the red and blue 
spandex, you know. For sure. Um, that's how I looked at that scene, and uh, it's really cool. My final thoughts are: I think just it's just such a fun experience and such a fun movie to see like all these villains come back, and of course. The, the all three Spider-Men share this same screen, and it's not like. Uh, also, like I was thinking that if they did show up, maybe it'd only be like cameos. Like maybe they just kind of like show up for the third act in, in like a small, tiny way. They get they get some decent screen time. You know, they show up kind of like towards the end of the second act, and like they're all they're there all throughout the third act. So they get some screen time. So you're not sh- shortchanged on. Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. So I uh, just just want to let let people know, like you know, you're gonna you're gonna get your money's worth with them. But um, yeah, final thoughts. Uh, I I loved this movie. It's definitely in my top. Uh, it's towards the top of my favorite MCU films. Uh, towards the top of my favorite Spider-Man movies. Um, it is it a perfect movie? Probably not. But is it a perfectly entertaining movie? Much like the first Avengers. Yes. It was a perfect experience yeah. and to top it all off it's that final shot for me where he does sew his own costume and you know you hear that music the score is perfect like he's in it's you don't you don't see spider-man in in snow swinging in snow at night very often you don't see those kind of shots and it's really it, it was very refreshing to see that but like in the cold new york nights with the, this very vibrant spider-man costume made of cloth and he's just on his own yeah he's got he's got a shitty apartment he's got he's got a police scanner app on his phone and everyone forgot him like everyone forgets spider like that peter who peter parker is it's not like they forgot that oh peter parker spider-man everybody forgets peter parker and he makes that sacrifice to so to to save the his universe and to stop basically the multiverse from collapsing onto him with all his villain throughout the multiverse or throughout the spider-verse if you will um and he really embodied spider-man and a lot of people have been saying like the home trilogy is basically like a an elongated spider-man origin and i could see that in a way like it's like a like a like a bigger cinematic version of like small what Smallville would try to be for Superman, if you will, because you still like year get, one, like year yeah. one, like you still get the you still get the villains, you still get the costume, but like he's not, he's basically just trying to grow into uh, this role, and it is safe to say that I look forward to Tom Holland returning as Spider Man, especially if this is the Spider Man that we're getting, this loner, this you know has to pay the rent back to basics back to basics you know i'm glad and he's just gonna have to rely on his wits and his will and that great you know with his great power comes there must also come great responsibility and i'm glad to see him embody that will this be the last time we see all three of these spider-men together probably not i know for a fact that avi arad is salivating at the idea (laughs) of wanting to make some toys more toys of course um, this is the step in the right direction for this Spider-Man for sure and I look forward to seeing Tom Holland come back and see see what his what adventures lie for Spidey yeah I definitely don't want this to be the last time we see him because I think there's still a lot more gas in the tank for this guy for to see his, this iteration of Spider-Man um, and he's still a young guy so he can still pull off you know I, I want to see Peter Parker going through college 
trying to balance, you know, college education with fighting, you know, uh, Craven the Hunter or Scorpion or, you know, any number of other villains that we still haven't seen on film yet that I want to see Spider-Man face. So, because as many villains as we've seen so far, Spider-Man's got a, a pretty deep well of villains and uh, we haven't seen them all yet. So, bring them on. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Super Rad Saturday Show. Go ahead and subscribe to anywhere you can listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple. You can follow me on Instagram, at Mighty Franz, that's M-I-G-H-T-Y-F-R-O-N-Z. And be sure to check out my other podcast, Retro Mutagen, where my friend Shredder and I talk about all things retro, with a big focus on those heroes in a half shell, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Hey guys, you can also follow the cap at Who Is Your Captain Baby on Instagram. That's W-H-O-S-Y-O-U-R-K-A-P-T-A-I-N, baby. And also, don't forget to follow our official Instagram page, Super Rad Saturday. Thanks for joining us this week. We hope you have a Super Rad Saturday.